Yes, yes, we are back. This is the wonderful Calculated Conversation radio show. The reason being, because there's certain things we just got to talk about. Yes, yes. Um, I'm your host, David Jefferson, and... Ken Jones. Is in the house, and we also got a very, very special guest, man. Casey Jackson is definitely in the building tonight, hey. man. What's up, Casey? It's good to be here. <laughs> man, I'm uh, we glad to have you, man. Um, uh, Casey has um, been in behavioral health over 30 years. Yes. Um, what it says here is that um, you are the International Motivational Interviewing Network um, Competency Assessment uh, boss man, pretty much. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah. It's all propaganda, but yeah, that's true. Right, right. Yeah. And so um, you provided over 2,000 trainings on motivational interviewing. That's why we're here, the yes. idea of motivational interviewing. Yes. Um, I had the pleasure to uh, be, attend one of your trainings um, with Central City Concern about four months ago, and I was just blown away, you know, by um, the level of depth you guys were going to um, to bring awareness and, and empathy and understanding to, um, you know, other people's traumas, experiences in life, things that we normally wouldn't know anything about. And I was like, right. man, I got to talk to him <laughs> somehow <laughs> about works. this, you know. Um, so I, it, it was amazing to me, and I've been telling my co-hosts about it, you know, for the last, you know, couple of months, you know, trying to get this thing set up. Um, also, you do this around the country, right? Don't you? You, you travel um, and you teach the the philosophies, the ideas, the um, the curriculum um, of motivational interviewing um, to different types of organizations. What all organizations do you work with? Well, actually, even recently, we've been, I've been traveling all over the world. I just oh, the got, world. I, yeah, I got around. Just got back from the UK and was in Poland this year, and okay. so um, I've been really lucky. Organizations, like it said, you know, I've worked in behavioral health, mental health, and addiction for over thirty years. Right. You know, worked with homeless youth and worked in prison systems, and as a social worker, and I I ran across this method of communication and oh. just became obsessed with it, and. At the time, I was at Washington State University on faculty there and just had a chance to dive deeper into the research and the science behind why it works. And so it's kind of a balance between the compassion that I had wanting to change the world and then having a method of communication that aligns with that and okay. continues to improve. And so that's when you look at it from that lens, it started in the addiction world. And now I train organizations that work with employment services, people that have been incarcerated, getting to employment. I work with state government, with welfare offices. Mm -hmm. I work with, you know, addiction agencies. I work with mental health agencies, work with hospitals, just any organization that really is trying to make a change. What I like the most, well, one of the things I like is that you work with law enforcement. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, I think what really turned me on to the motivational interviewing was the the de-escalation de process. Because I remember in the training, it stuck out to me that you, you guys showed a real life uh, police officer using some of the, the tactics um, of motivational interviewing to de-escalate a very, very hazardous and dangerous situation. Yes. And it worked. It works. And I was like, okay, so this is real. <laughs> this is real. So, you know, something I want to I wanted to make sure. For, so for the listeners that don't know, yeah, was, I, I just got up to speed with what motivational interviewing was. Right. So. I wanted to go back to that, but I was so excited to say that part. But yeah, <laughs> right. we got to get back to what motivational right. interviewing right. actually down. is. <laughs> break that down and define right. it. For what, the what does that mean exactly? So I'll give you just a quick, quick history. So the individual that developed it, um, Dr. William Miller, was 
has been around for decades. And in the eighties, he went on sabbatical. He was, he's at university of New Mexico, Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Um, he went on sabbatical and I can never remember. It was one of the Scandinavian countries and they were expecting the eighties. I was raised in the addiction field in the eighties okay. and it's abusive. It was a, um, it's what I was trained to do, but it's a really aggressive, abusive system. Addiction mm-hmm. treatment is you, you verbally beat people up. You break them down. Mm-hmm. If they're not ready to quit using, you know, you go back on the streets and figure it out and then come back and talk to me. Mm. It's just, it's just a pretty aggressive system. And the failure rates were always blamed on the individuals because they have drug addiction. Mm. It was never blamed on the professionals that maybe didn't know what the hell they were doing. Right. right. Uh, so, and what Miller did when he went over there, they were asking him why he was doing it the way he was doing it. Cause they were expecting to get this kind of aggressive treatment approach um, that they knew was coming out of the States. And that's not the way Bill Miller operated. So where the term actually came from, he said he didn't think anybody would actually read what he was writing about it. Right. But what he realized is when you get aggressive with anybody, they get defensive. Right. It has, doesn't matter if you have addiction issues or not. Right. If you right. get in somebody's face right. and get aggressive, People are going to get aggressive back. Yes. You don't have to have addiction issues. You don't have to be struggling with alcoholism. <laughs> right. So it's a pretty common sense aha moment. And what he told the students, these grad students, was because they were going, why, aren't, you know, why are you doing it this way? And he said, well, what I've learned is if you just interview people, they're more than willing to talk if you don't judge mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And he said, when I interviewed people, and this is where motivational interviewing came from, he said, when I interviewed people, I could see these big gaps between their behavior and who they said they were. Right. And so I would interview them to find out now that I could understand when I step inside their skin and understand the struggles they've gone through and what they've gone through in life, I just wanted to find out what would motivate you. Why would you even be think about quitting using right. drugs? Right. And that's where the term motivational interviewing mm. came from. He interviewed people to find out what motivated them. And he never expected it to go international. He didn't expect people to start to research. It. He didn't expect it to kind of blow up um, to the level that it has in the mm. last 40 years. And mm. so that was in 83. Another individual from Wales read the article and they ran into each other at a conference and they wrote a book and it just grew and grew and grew. And now, like what I used to teach 15 years ago, because of the research that's come out around it, we don't, I don't even teach some of the same stuff mm, because okay. we've learned through research that things we thought were impacting behavior change don't necessarily change behavior and other things we weren't paying attention to, we right. pay more attention to. So that's where the term motivational interviewing came from okay. is you interview people to find out what motivates them okay <laughs> nice man i love it <clears throat> which is it's the, the complexity it sounds but it is exactly what it's <laughs> what's right it, there it's in your exactly face it's, it's, it. it's right there yeah. that's it yeah yeah, it's, it's um, to be able to, you know, take a look into those. I just, um, you know, it's why we do what we do. And that's why we're glad we connected with you. Um, you don't really find a lot of people, organizations, you know, uh, trainers, podcasts, radio shows, whatever, that really go deep enough into the why. Can't always talk about the why. Right. You know, and I get along good, Ken. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Ken always yes. talk about the why, <laughs> you know, and, concern. <laughs> you know, and, he, you know, and, and starting from there, you can start to probe and you can start to understand and go deeper and kind of let go a lot of your preconceived notions of what why you think people do what they do based off your own limited experience absolutely right and so um what you're doing is amazing man um uh and how and so you you've been out of the country as well now you you've always been international or is this new it's not predominantly i'm in country um i mean it's weird to even say that because i'm just 
a little scrub kid from Sixth and Bowdish in Spokane, right. Washington. So when right. I think that I, I like I've been to Australia and trained right. and, and Germany and, and been other places, it's just it blows my mind because I was just a, a little social worker who wanted to, you know, give me some obnoxious teenagers, mm. lock me in a room with them. Let's get honest with each other. And, right. and hopefully that's going to help change things. That's all I ever wanted to do. So to be here on a conversation like this um, and then to be traveling around the country or even traveling around the world just it's mind blowing to me right and so we'll have the listeners know that he flew in just to do this interview (laughs) right we feel super special (laughs) and he's flying out right after so you won't get to see him (laughs) no we're just kidding Um, but no we blessed that you came in man like um, again I was for a guy like myself who who thinks he knows a bit about communication and a bit about empathy and awareness, mm-hmm. um, being open-minded enough to hear you out, you know, I was able to learn new information. So as much as I think I know, it showed me how much I did know, which I was extremely grateful for, man. That's why, again, I had to, I wanted to connect with you um, on that level. Um, before we, I kind of wanted to talk about some of the actual details of, Am I? But sure. before that, I didn't no, know. I was just going to vouch for because usually uh, his excitement, he keeps it here. But when certain <laughs> things hit him, we had finished the show and he brought it up like, uh, man, heard this guy speak and it just, I thought I knew something and I realized that yeah. it's way more than enough. It just, it, so he was crazy excited. So that's good. not fluff. Good, good. <laughs> right, right. I don't do that that often because I rarely hear things like, you know, that get me on that level, man. But I just want to make sure I'm open-minded about the idea of other people and, and how and why they exist and what I can do to be better. And, you know, and, and the listeners, I think, you know, outside from me and Ken, um, we want to make sure our listeners are up to date on the idea of motivational interviewing and how it can impact and how they can utilize you guys as service, connect with you in the future, or possibly bring you to their organization and, you know, go deeper, you know, on the subject. Um, let me see where we at. Okay, so the first, so there's a lot of different facets of motivational interviewing. What would you say is the first step? Well, or what it was? Is there a process, right? Yeah, and I think the thing that is impactful for me or powerful for me of why you even sat up straight in the training. I mean, you even talked to me the very first break. I remember you coming up to break <laughs> right. and saying, "You know, like I was, I'm crazy. Yeah. I was kind of half, <laughs> I was kind of half in this and kind of half out of this, and like now I'm in this." Yeah. And I, I, I don't think it's wildly different than calculated conversations. It's literally, do we pay attention to what's coming out of our mouth and how it's impacting people around Absolutely. us? Absolutely. And and so I think one of the reasons that I've gotten a little more attention, because I'm not the only person that trains on motivational interviewing, but I have gotten a little bit of attention around it, is because I really do want to have a, a profound impact right. for people that serve other people and actually improve communities. Right. And, so, like I've been told many times, like you can't use motivational for this, or you can't use it for this, you can't use it for this, and I keep thinking, why can't I be mindful about when I open my mouth the impact that's having? Right. I don't, care, I don't care if I'm talking to my children. I don't care if I'm an officer talking to somebody that I pull over. It doesn't matter if I'm a, talk to, a doctor talking to somebody with diabetes. I can be mindful and conscious about what's coming out of my mouth. Yes. And I can listen more deeply into what impact is it having. And and I have a lot of kind of controversial biases in my own field but i think if there's a problem if i'm the person getting paid to fix this problem and it's not going well that's on me that's not on the patient or the client i'm working with that just means if you're taking a paycheck you need to to lay down some service that's working and if you're not then you need to go back to the drawing board and figure that out not blame the individual right so so those are the things that i think it starts to push a basic method of communication 
into individual change. And that's why when I started my company, I was thinking, I want individual change. I want organizational change. I want community change. I want system change in a really proactive, smart, strategic way that can have a a sustained impact on individuals and communities. And I've seen it happen consistently if people follow the basic structure they need to follow in this this method of communication. Right. I got a question. Do you think that with kind of your background going, you know, being in the mental health field, uh, dealing with adolescents, mm-hmm. um, then the prison system, that that kind of helps set a foundation for you to be able to deal with essentially whatever's thrown your way. I, I think so. I, I also think what I was lucky with, I mean, I just, I was lucky with the family that I was raised in that I was just raised to be a compassionate person. Okay. Mm. And so nice. I tended to lean a little higher in the empathy range mm, anyway. Okay. And, and once I learned even more effectively to put, instead of just assuming what's going on with people, to really put myself in other people's shoes, it's really humbling to realize how ignorant yeah, you really are. Right. Like, who the hell am I to tell people how to live their lives? And right. I, I think about, but that's what we're trained to do as professionals. Right. Read more books, take more classes, get more initials after your name, <laughs> so you can really put your finger in somebody's chest and say, you need to do this or your life's not going to be good. Mm-hmm like they actually are going to listen or care like why why would somebody that i've just met that their parent brings them in by the ear just because i sit them down and put my finger in their chest and and tell them what they need to do why the hell are they gonna listen to me i mean it just when you look at it almost mathematically it doesn't make sense but it's it's what we it's what our mainstream culture does it's what a professional culture assumes is the most effective thing to do but then when you look at the data behind it then you get to blame people. Well, this this intervention is only about forty percent effective or fifty percent effective. Right. And, and historically, what we did is we'd blame the individuals for their diabetes, their heart disease, their obesity. Right. You know, we could blame them for their choices instead of going, well, maybe professionals just aren't on top of the game like they should be. Right. You know, they, could, they maybe they can learn more advanced skills of communication and how to affect behavior change instead of just handing them a brochure and right. make them feel guilty. I mean, it's just not effective. So you touch on kind of saying your family structure set up, you leaning towards the empathy. And what are some of the things that you can recall that you feel were done differently than maybe just in general, things that you come across that kind of help that? And like in my own personal life. Yeah, yes, like, yes. like your family. Like. Yeah, I, I think the thing that I know is I, we were, I was basically in – you know, not poverty, poverty. I mean, there's, I thought I was raised in poverty, but not extreme poverty. But like my parents talked about, like they had, like when my dad is get his paycheck, they had maybe a nickel in their savings and checking together, Mm. like total, like a nick, literally a nickel. And, uh, which means that they had money in their account. So I realized it wasn't poverty. They had had a nickel. So, so I understand that. And, but I never knew that. Like right. growing up, because my parents were so involved in our lives, and I have mm. I have six siblings, and so we had a big family, yeah. and and uh, <laughs> but we were always doing stuff. And my dad worked horrible. He worked went to work at you know two thirty in the morning, and he'd get home at four thirty in the evening. He only had Wednesdays and Sundays off. He had mm. split days off for thirty years, and wow. but he was involved in it. He was a coach. He was the pack leader for Cub Scouts. My mom coached. She was den mother. Like we were, they were just so active. Mm. We didn't know we were poor. Okay, um, mm. and I think. As I got older, I had such an appreciation. They didn't try to insulate it for us. They didn't think they were poor. They knew that we had a rich life. And I and my mom just always said, you know, you really want to make a difference in people's lives. Like, mm-hmm. and, and when people found out that I had like six siblings, they're like, oh, are you Mormon or are you Catholic? And it's like, <laughs> my parents were just horny. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and they wanted a baseball team. And, right, uh, right. Um, and 
and people ask what my religion was like and I, I remember when kids were going to church yeah. and and everybody's talking about going to church on sundays and we didn't go to church and mm. i asked my mom one day you know what religion are we i, th- I remember i was in grade school mm. and she said well f- why and i said well because everybody talks about church and she goes well if they ask you just tell them you're christian because you'd give your shirt off your back to anybody that needs it mm. and she goes and that's what christ would do mm. and so i was like okay i'm christian yeah, i guess because yeah. i would give my shirt off my back to anybody that needs help so that's the kind of family okay. that i came from um and my mom was an activist and did all sorts of things that really had a major impact on her community even right. from not a lot of money so okay well, that helps that, that helps paint a clearer picture yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I like that, man. That um, building that energy and a lot of a lot of families weren't fortunate enough to kind of have that type of rearing, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. And then that's what makes it tougher um, for them to, you know, even be considerate, compassionate, empathetic of people in general. And so, um, MI is a, is sort of a, a program, a philosophy that is, you know, asking you to go deeper, you know, challenge you to go deeper into your own understanding. And to leave your own reality, and, and it's hard for you yeah, to do Yeah, right, that. right. And that's, we tend to want to stick with our reality. I mean, we're, we're pretty egocentric right, creatures, right. especially in mainstream right. U.S. We're very egocentric, and we're always trying to drag people into our reality. You look at Facebook, you look at any social media, everybody, you want to drag everybody into your reality. Mm-hmm. And we get so self-centered. It is. It's really powerful because it's so uncommon when somebody leaves their reality to step inside your reality with no agenda and no judgment. Mm. Like that just doesn't happen. Right. Right. But when someone does that, this is the fundamental construct you're asking about earlier about motivational interviewing. And the fundamental construct is you leave your worldview to step inside somebody else's worldview without judgment. And when you do that, it eliminates most tension or conflict right. in a conversation because you're not trying to prove your point mm-hmm. you're stepping to their worldview so you eliminate the resistance and you get access to their struggle or their ambivalence mm-hmm. internally so it's very effective but we just don't do it well right right i think part of the conversation we were having on saturday um a sidebar conversation where i was just talking about your east the further you get west you know um it goes from group to i mm-hmm. and it goes it's way less we even in the way you know our um just language just the english language yes it's we're blaming. Yes. Right. Things don't just, ha- it's he did it, she did it. This was, and what that does for us. Right. And it's separate. Everything is separate. And it's almost weird. We talk about uh, coming across people and then being nice, just genuinely nice, and how you're kind of like, oh, what's, yeah. what's the angle? What's going on? What I owe you. Right. Yes. right. <laughs> and it's just crazy that that's like that. I had a moment, um, this is maybe two years ago, genuinely seeing somebody walking by, um, genuinely happy. Like he was looking at the trees. It's a nice sunny day and you ever been under a tree and kind of the sunlight is coming through it and it's kind of a cool and he was just in awe and walked away and smiling my first thought was like is he high right it's like why can't he just be appreciated and that was one of those things that i followed up that thought with right. why am i even questioning what state he's in as opposed to just being happy right that that tripped me out and made me feel right, right, <laughs> that right. I defaulted to that. And but it's just crazy how often we come across people who are just genuinely good people and it takes a second to warm up to that. Yes. Because that's not what we're expecting, that's not what we're exposed to on a regular. Yes. That is <laughs> frustrating. Well, and, can, and, and can this is this is part of the construct that's so fascinating about it. And this is a cross cultural, you know, the more I've really studied this and dove into it, just again the cross cultural application of it fundamentally and this is going to start to go into your why question a little bit Mm -hmm. um or or perspective yes is 
when you get crystal clear, when you talk about or you think about what your deeper values are, what your values and what your goals are, mm-hmm. when your behavior is not in line with it and you catch yourself or someone else catches you, your first reaction is to either blame outside yourself or make an excuse. So if you say you're trustworthy or you say you have integrity mm-hmm. and you catch yourself or someone else catches you not doing it, your knee-jerk reaction is to blame outside yourself or to make an excuse. Mm-hmm. And so this is when you look from that basic construct and somebody's looking up at the tree and they see the sun rays coming down and they're, it's part of you thinks, well, I want to be that way. Mm. And since I'm not every day, and most of us, so many people are walking around miserable or depressed yes. or upset or angry, yes. when they see somebody happy, they have to blame outside of themselves right. because their behavior is not in line with right. that reality. Mm-hmm. Right. Because right. nobody's that happy. Right, right, technically. <laughs> right? right? And if they are, they got to be smoking something. They got to be doing right. something. And which is all blaming outside the self instead of going, why don't I take time to look up that tree mm. and see those? Because that would be in line with my values, but right. I have so many excuses that I blame everything and say why I can't do it instead right. of taking time to do it. Right. And if somebody else takes the time to do it, then I've got to talk smack about them <laughs> because they've got to be screwed up because, you know, Nobody normally does those exactly. things. Exactly. Right. And, and I don't feel bad not doing it because it's not my fault that I'm not doing it. That's exactly it. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's it. Uh, that's funny you said that because I remember one time telling uh, my ex, you know, that I missed her. And she was like, are you drunk? <laughs> I was like, yeah, but so what? No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> and I wasn't either. I was sober. And I was like, that's rude. You know, but it just shows that, I mean, people ain't, ain't always used to just that transparency, that compassion. And you know what? I just, I miss you for no reason or I'm happy for no reason Yes, you know I'm saying hello for no reason you know like hey I just came to check on you what do you want yes you know what I'm saying like nothing like we we lost the the, or if we ever had you know just the idea of just you know being genuine and and the fact that people can be genuinely and inherently good and um, and loving and supportive and concerned you know and so um, things that you know things like motivational interviewing and you know we hope calculated conversation can show where the information is missing you know and that's why I like what you're doing again because the idea of like I immediately thought of what we were doing when I saw what you were doing I was like that's those two things can't be too far off because the idea of calculated conversation is assuming that information is missing and we don't have it and until we get it we can't make any judgments or any you can't come up with any ideals yet until we know that right Um, and so that's why we really do man um, appreciate what you're doing man it's it's super uh, it's mutual it's refreshing (laughs) it really is man so um, what about, uh, you know, what other steps, you know, besides the, the initial, you know, just the diving into your shoes and, and asking you questions and interviewing you, um, what, what other steps do you guys take after, you know, once you get the conversation started? Like, what's, what's, what else is important about MI? There's things about it that I like that are the kind of uh, compassion and what your intention is when you go into a conversation. But then there's also parts of it that really are strategic and there is science behind language as well too mm-hmm. so the, the parts that i like is we start off from an empathetic compassionate perspective so i step out of my reality I step into someone else's reality and the physics that happens when you step into somebody else's reality without judgment is instead of it going the direction between two people so it's not between can and i or between you and i when mm-hmm. i step into can's reality now we're in can's reality Right. Or in Ken's reality, he's not blaming other people. Now he's talking about his struggle or his dilemma. Mm-hmm. So you literally convert this energy that is tension or resistance or discord between two people, and you've converted it into ambivalence. Right. Um, and you get access to that ambivalence. And the thing is, is when people are stuck and they don't know what to do, 
their natural response is to start blaming and firing right. at other people. Right. So what you can do, and less than this is why it works with law enforcement in, in these brief conversations in healthcare, it, it takes, it, it's a simple construct, but we are not trained well at it. Right. And what it requires is you need to leave your ego behind and step into somebody else's reality mm-hmm check out, step inside their reality. And when you do that, you've immediately eliminated any resistance. You get access to ambivalence. Right. Once you get there, so that's the kind of compassionate side of the empathetic side, then you strategically start to listen to language differently. Yes. And in motivation, there's four types of language you listen to. There's resistance language, which means they're blaming other people, making about you know, the government or the president or the community or the teacher or mom or my spouse or my kids. As long as you're blaming outside yourself, that's resistance talk. Right. In motivational wing, that's we identify it that way. And there's a specific way to respond to it. If you respond to it appropriately, the, all we do then is you label ambivalence. One half is, here's the reasons I'm stuck. And the other side of the hand is, gosh, I wish I would change. Mm. You know, I wish things were different. And so one side stuck talk, one's change talk. So they call it sustained talk and change talk. So there's resistance talk, sustained talk, change talk. And then there's commitment talk towards behavior change. Mm-hmm. Because even though this is an effective method of communication, the term motivational learning as an evidence-based method of communication is primarily to affect be long-term behavior change, mm-hmm. to support long-term behavior yes. change. So it's it, there's aspects of it you can use in any conversation, but as a model of communication, it's how do we help other people get their behavior in line with their values and goals, and that's their deeper why. Mm-hmm. I We are not motivated necessarily to go to the gym. We're not motivated <laughs> to eat vegan right that when most people don't just wake up and they're like you know what i just really want to eat vegan yeah nope. uh, they don't get excited about that and i want to give up all sweets and you know that's not what we're motivated to do but do you want to be around for your kids right. long run? do you want to be around for your grandkids mm-hmm. that's what my why is mm-hmm. that's my motivation mm-hmm. when you try to hold people accountable to a plan like did you make it to the gym today did you do what you said you were going to do with your health right what you're going to generate, you it's mathematic when you ask did they do it they're going to give you excuses why they didn't mm-hmm. So in this method, you don't you don't ask those questions because you don't want to spend any airtime with people giving excuses. So if I'm talking to Ken about his, you know, him wanting to get healthy and, and be in a different place with that, mm-hmm. instead of me saying, well, did you make the gym today? You said you're going to make it four days this week. Did you make it all four days? His brain literally starts to generate excuses. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, you know, what you're still debating is, do I want to get healthy so I can be around for my kids and my grandkids? Right. And then Ken says, damn, I need to get back to the gym. Right. So it's literally how do we build internal motivation instead of trying to install it or instill it in an individual? Mm. How do you uncover it? How do you listen deeper to find out what are their motivating factors? Right, right. So, so um, I like that. I want to. I want to know if I used it before. <laughs> so, because I. Um, I had uh, I remember I don't know if you remember we were in OCI last Saturday and um, they were asking us about you know how do you stay, kind of how you. How do you stay focused and especially when, you know, people are resistant when they first get out of prison and they don't really have the motivation to change, you know, because of what they're used to. And they don't really see the full term benefits. And so I had a guy um, come to me and tell me that, you know, like I just, you know, he wanted some support, you know, with employment and whatnot. And basically. I just I got out and my PO, you know, won't let me go to my son's birthday party. Um, he's turning nine and I've already missed seven years of his birthday. I'm not going to miss this one. Um, but, you know, I'm on the ankle bracelet and things like that, you know. And so I had to think on that one for a second. I'm supposed to support him and try to motivate him. Right. 
And so my my answer, my go to answer was, well, do you want to be around for his tenth and eleventh birthdays? <laughs> Absolutely. Was that, was that am I good? That's Casey? on point. That's on point. <laughs> That's the only thing I think of. Like yeah. that, it just popped in my head. Like, okay, what about ten, eleven, and twelve, and on? Exactly. Okay, you got to do what you got to do at this moment. But let's look at the the bigger picture. You know, and that was my biggest. Can to tell you that was my I think that was my biggest message when I was you know at the the facility um, the, the what the what the future looks like what does that look like do we have a picture of where we want to end up and how can we you know organize and strategically you know uh, create our words and actions to reflect that as we move along exactly I think that picture is what a lot of people don't have so they do whatever they want to at this lower level not realizing like you said the long-term effects yes. And so that that's kind of my message, you know, and that's what guides me. You know, I believe in some of the things that Ken does is we, we kind of know what we want things to look like. So we try to make sure our, our actions are in alignment with that. And that's the idea of calculated conversation as well. Nice. Actions and steps, man, and making sure that we know what we want it to equal out to. So we're, we're calculating, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> One of the things real quick is that you have mentioned just of words, and I point this out all the time of. One word can change the whole tone structure of a sentence. Yes. Right. Um, and I had an example. There's a program I'm a part of, uh, Woke PDX, where get a bunch of people to the table, have conversations about social issues in a place that you can actually have conversations. Yes. Right? Right. Right. Um, with that, we were setting up for our first event and we had a lady who has her own media- mediation company and she came in. One of the things we had written out were um, event rules. She was like, no, that is going to cause people to feel like you're placing rules on them. How about you use community guidelines hmm. that changed the whole feel of what we were asking the same thing, right? right. Change a couple words. Now it's invite. Now it's inclusive right now. <laughs> we're all here. We're together. And this is just kind of what we want to make sure happens tonight. Right. And it's simple things like that. And I come across that often yes. where it's the way that it's said more or not the words being chosen the right way. Yes. A lot of times we're just shooting off the hip, coming yes. with the first thing and sometimes just a breath <laughs> before responding or actually processing the conversation that you want to have. You know, I know with friends, I get a lot of people coming to me wanting to have conversations with their significant other and so on. Um, that'd be difficult. I always tell them, make bullet points, you know, because the thing that happen is the emotions get involved. Then you just start going. Yes. And that's where it can get dangerous. Yes. So, right. so, really. you know, knowing kind of what you want to say and make sure you're kind of putting these things down in a structure that's not I'm blaming. Right. Um, right. This is you. You always, you know, the, the right. We, that's we the strategy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And trying to just put this more of I'm coming for the sake of understanding. Right. How can we get past this or at least work on this? Right. You know, um, but it's just important. I'm glad you pointed that out. Just the word thing. Yeah. I like that. I like yeah. that. Too. Well, there's partly what you're talking about too, Dave, what you were talking about. Like, I don't know how far you guys want to go down the rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> we got time. You got time? <laughs> we got time today. Okay. So when you're talking and can this kind of, it, it, it segues into it as well too. When you're looking about cultural change, when you're looking at communities, one of the things that I've seen, and you were talking about you know, individuals that have been incarcerated. One of the things I've been fascinated with in the last couple of years and spent a lot of time researching and diving into is something that's executive functioning, mm-hmm. um, which is our problem solving and coping skills. They call it your, our executive functioning. When people have experienced trauma, there's significant impact to executive functioning. If somebody sets off a pipe bomb outside this building, mm-hmm. your problem solving skills are going to be impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so 
the normal logical way we'd process things will be different when you're under mm-hmm. trauma or stress. Mm-hmm. Yes. A lot of individuals that have been incarcerated, a lot of individuals with trauma in their lives with addiction issues have experienced a significant amount of trauma. Mm-hmm. When you have a lot of trauma, it has an impact on your executive functioning. I mean, these are actual brain functions. I was just mm-hmm. at a conference in Florida and, and going even deeper into this. And this is what's fascinating that even through methods of communication, you can have an impact on people's executive functioning. So these individuals you're talking about that are incarcerated, they've been so institutionalized, people that have been on welfare for years. Mm-hmm. They're so institutionalized, they don't know how to make decisions when they get stuck in their ambivalence right. because life does not fall their way. Right. And either they've never had the role models for that, their community has never supported it through generations of poverty, through all these different things that have happened to individuals. There's, you know, there's cultural uh, trauma that's happened. There's individual, there's family trauma that happens. That has an impact on our executive function, our problem solving and our coping skills. And you literally can learn to communicate to help start to repair that. Mm. What everybody wants to do when somebody's struggling with an issue is jump in and give their advice. Right. And that doesn't help actually repair executive functionings. It's one more person that's doing something for someone else, mm. which is fine from a compassionate perspective, but it doesn't build up individuals or communities when somebody's always doing it for them and telling them what the solution is. Right. It is way harder to have the patience to step back and think, how do I strategically respond to this conversation mm-hmm. so I can literally see their brain cells starting to connect and f- and lob some constructs over the top to each other so their brain starts to understand how to problem solve these on their own and it's not everybody coming in to rescue them or they're feeling like they're mm. beholden these systems yes. that are they're usually are taking advantage of them mm. um, and capitalizing on them so this is i mean this is a rabbit hole we can go down I, but i mean it's just <laughs> I'm, I'm here with you yeah that's what I, <laughs> and and i and i think those are the things that for me it moved so far beyond a training or a, a method of communication the deeper that i went into this and started to learn and study this and then see the impact on individuals and communities that i was working with and then individuals and communities as training like you were talking about, David, um, the body cam footage. Um, the more I'm working with law enforcement in different areas, it does have a diff- it has such a significant impact. If you if if you genuinely, if law enforcement genuinely wants to serve and protect, mm-hmm. if that's what you're going to ride on the side of your car, mm. <laughs> is that is your behavior in line with that? Right. If you want to be a good parent, are you going to lay down the meth pipe? I mean, it's just, but there's impact to their executive functioning. Mm. So, I mean, there's just these things. It's not just individual. It's not just about, you know, helping people with their diabetes. It's not just about communication and helping with behavior change. I think that's why I was so excited about the whole calculated conversations, you know, being able to have this in terms of it really is helping people realize how do we connect the dots to help ourselves and help people around us. Um, And it is through having that where you're missing information, like how do we fill in these gaps? Right. So we all learn and we kind of are all raised up together. Yes. Um, and that, those are the things that just fascinate me about this dialogue that we're having and then yes. the things that I am, you know, blessed enough to be able to do. Yeah, yeah, man. It's powerful. <laughs> so coming up, um, just rising through your ranks of, you know, working um, in these different um, industries, I guess, I guess mm-hmm. it's all under the yeah. same umbrella, but then getting into where you got to, having your own business. Mm-hmm. Did you have mentors along the way? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. yeah. I mean, it, it, I think we all have mentors along the way. I, and I think there's also something, you know, I think in this day and age, there's so much with podcasts and everybody wants to be the instant millionaire and all the different <laughs> things or, you know, find their path. The thing that has always been, 
I just never thought that I, like I said, I never thought I'd be traveling around the world. I never mm-hmm. thought I'd be on a, you know, on a, a radio show. And, um, but the mentors for me were people that, that really did advance my understanding. It was partly it helped me find my humility, mm-hmm. um, and then also the same thing like you guys do with calculated conversations, like filled in the gaps. And helped you understand that there's like all of these rungs of the ladder that have been missing for so many people. Like a good mentor shows you how to put those rungs in place for you to climb, and then and then builds that, instills that in you, the desire to climb further. You know, I, or other, and it wouldn't be bad. I'd be totally fine if I was still, you know, at an agent, a mental health agency, or an addiction mm-hmm. agency, working with people. I'd still be fulfilled. Yeah, right. Yes. But to see. 30 or 40 people after two days like change their thinking and want to like literally are thinking about clients they work with and they can't wait to get to work on Monday. <laughs> that is mind blowing. Yeah. That's just mind blowing to me. It's there's a, um, it's funny you mentioned podcasts. I listen to a ton of podcasts, read a crazy amount of books and listen to a lot of podcasts. And, um, one of them yesterday, um, making dinner and they were talking about money and transparency with money in the transparency with money in the workplace and mm-hmm. there was a experiment that was done where they had everybody's salaries posted mm-hmm. <laughs> and so with that it was going you know from all your levels and you're seeing some of the discrepancies in people's pay and um they talked about equating happiness to this and you had people making 90 100k didn't really like their job you had people that were making 45 and were a-okay yeah and they were being fulfilled, though. That's yes. that's what it boiled mm-hmm. down to is that it was there were people who didn't have all the money, didn't have the material, but the fulfillment. And that makes me go back to like your parent, the way you were raised, yeah, the absolutely. things they made you guys. They filled you with what they could do to where you were shielded in the sense of what was actually yes. going on financially. Yes. Because the love and stuff never changed. Exactly. And that's um, I think that fulfillment piece. Yes. And that's when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, where you would be right. operating at this same level, no matter what context it was in, no matter where you were at, this would be happening. But it's got to be that much better to be able to be at the level that you've gotten absolutely. to. And <laughs> that's definitely a nice bonus. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and that's, you know, for podcasts, I mean, we we just started posting ours recently, the communication solution. Okay. And it, and it's the same thing is because what we found is it's great training, you know, 30 people at a time, mm-hmm. but it, it's just mind boggling to me. Just I'm sure as you guys have built your show as well, too, it's mind boggling that people listen to it and it actually <laughs> yeah. helps. <laughs> yes. Right. You yeah. know, I, and I think because I don't think I'm the brightest person in the world, you know, I'm not stupid and I'm not the brightest person in the world, mm-hmm. but it is phenomenal to me that people find value in the knowledge that I've acquired right. and that if it helps them get to the next level, that's, I mean, that's the mentoring you were asking yes. about earlier that I think there's times we don't even know we're a mentor. Right. Um, right. You know, right. Where people come up and just say, oh, this is so impactful. And you're like, I didn't know anybody's even listening to it. Tonight. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we get a bunch of, we, uh, I mean, we get a bunch of good messages um, from different people, oftentimes extremely random. And like a lot of times we just get blown away by even, you know, we take live phone calls too. Nice. So, you know, we like people putting us on the, you know, up on the chopping block, you nice. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that we, you know, we got to be sure that we believe what we say and that we can answer questions regarding Absolutely. the subject. If we can't answer the questions and, you know, we might be on the, doing the wrong show. But 
uh, yeah, we've been overwhelmed by the, the love and the support, you know, and, and we do realize we have noticed the importance, you know, of these conversations, you know, of these philosophies. And, and so it's important to bring people in to help us expand that, you know, our own minds and our listeners, because uh, most of them, you know, they really starting to become really keen with just the idea of um, compassion and thinking and, and calculate and, and accountability uh, more than anything. Um, these shows really, really push the idea of accountability. Um, they put the power back in your hands. Nice. Um, you know, and then, you know, people start to build strength in that. And they're like, man, I'm stronger after listening to you guys. Because, you know, like you said, I don't think we live in a, a society, um, you know, that's that's transparent with us on how much power we actually have over our own lives absolutely and we think every like you say everything is just always external we've always been taught to look around when something don't go right absolutely but it's like the way your life changes when you start to look internally and you're like oh i can do that like we surprised even be here like we didn't know that we didn't know people's gonna listen to us and that like it was gonna get to the level where people like you really impacted we love your show like we love this show and so um again man um just to be a part of this conversation is just it's a blessing and this is what we do and what we want to do man and we just thankful that you know you guys pulled up absolutely you know and, and when you said that it was an aha moment for me when i was actually working in um I'd left state prison. I was working in federal prison and it's the same thing about empowering people or yeah. not realize the power they have. Like I still remember in one of these one session, I was in a, a therapy session and, and it's the whole thing about, you know, I have no power. My power has been taken away from me. It's been right. taken away from me my whole life. And I said, do you know you have the power <laughs> to go throw your jacket over the fence right now and climb over? You have the power to do that. Right. And there's going to be benefits or consequences of that. <laughs> right. You have all sorts of power. You could go out right now and take a dump in the yard. Right. You have the power to, you have all sorts of choices. Right. And once you start to realize that, then you can start to be smarter about this, what decisions right. do you want to make. Mm. So as soon as you start buying into the delusion, you don't have a choice. Right. They've won. That, you yep. have all sorts of choices. Yep. We literally can turn off the mics right now, hop in the car and drive to Cali. Right. We have the choice to do that right now. <laughs> we literally have the choice to do that right now. <laughs> yes. But people don't think that they have those choices yes. because immediately they get into, well, I can't because I can't because I can't because. And it's like, you are telling, it doesn't mean those aren't real things, right. but do you realize you could if you wanted to? Right. And there is benefits and consequences to that. And and just to see the thinking of people that have been incarcerated start to realize Oh, I do have choices. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you want to do when you wake up? You have choices. Right. When you start to think that they've taken all your choices away, you are in a not good place. And that's where, that's where you, that where control shifts mm -hmm. from the masses to the minority, mm -hmm. you know? And that's just like, <laughs> you need to be really clear. That's a dangerous spot. That's a dangerous spot. <laughs> Absolutely. Casey, okay, how difficult is it? Um, I mean, I think I got a feeling me and Ken have an idea, but I also want to know your opinion. How difficult is it to grow up in this society, you know, being told that you can't, um, being subject to some of the patterns and some of the traditions that you're raised in, you know, whether it's family, because everyone was didn't have the kind of parents that right. really supported the idea of love and compassion. Like everybody's right. just even... Even some of our parents was give me, give me, give me, and right. don't do that, don't do that, don't talk to that person. You don't know them, you know, stay away. Without really giving us any real explanation, I feel like, right. Right. <laughs> which is why we did it anyway. Right. But <laughs> but how hard is it, man, to for somebody to grow up like this and then say, wait a minute, that doesn't work. 
you know um i'm gonna take more advantage of myself i'm gonna I'm look more i'm gonna be more internal with things and i'm gonna create my own character my own way of thinking my own ideals and and philosophies like how is that difficult like what, what? I, th- I think it's that same thing we're just talking about is first letting your brain open up to the fact that you do have choices I think we just think we have such limited choices. I was just blown away. I was in a conversation yesterday, actually, with a, a, a young man who had who's come out around his sexuality, and he came over to our house and was having a conversation with us. And and uh, he the reason he came over to talk with us, just a personal conversation at our house, was because he said, that's not the way I was raised. Like, I was right. raised, people are bad. Um, and... Like, you don't have choices. And he said, I just thought I was going to write. He goes, my whole elementary and junior high years, I really thought that you're just going to be miserable because my parents just said, this is the best your life is ever going to be. You think you have it hard now? Wait till you have a job and you're paying taxes. You're going to be miserable. Mm. So you think you hate life now? And he said, that's just all I was exposed to. So it was so weird being around my current family for him because it was Mm. like, I just didn't even think this was an option. <laughs> right. like, I didn't think people could just wake up and be happy and love their kids and like just make breakfast and then yeah, go on walks and crazy. Just, and just and have a normal life. I just didn't think that was. I thought that was TV. I because I wasn't right. raised that way. Right. So I think when people get exposed to it, they want it. It. I was thinking earlier too, David, that that ties into this. I remember when I um, I took a year off after I got my master's degree. I took a year off and travel around Europe, and we were in Ireland. We'd rented a house. I mean, just like the airbnb cheap for a month kind of a thing and and uh, to survive for the year we were there and it was the dingle peninsula i still remember this in ireland and we were in our house for a couple of days there was me and, and two people I was traveling with and there's a knock on our door and a local fisherman just brought us a, a bag of fish and we're like it's the same thing like what what's this about he's just mm. like well i saw you guys were here and so I just brought you some fish. And we're like, right. <laughs> uh, okay, thank you. You know, we're really appreciated. Then like a day later, they came, so like two neighbors came over and said, hey, there's a wedding in town today. Do you guys want to go to the wedding and the reception afterwards? <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? And we're like, what, what do you mean? It's like, well, the whole town's going to be there. I mean, these are little towns. Yeah, yeah. But you think of a little Irish town. Wow. And, but then you think, well, I want to be like that why aren't we like that right. and i think this we were talking about the further yeah. west you go you know the difference between east and west it's it's so interesting and, and there we just hop across the pond to to the uk yeah. and and it was so discombobulating it's just so yes confusing but it's like that's what i want to be part of who doesn't want to be part of that right right and when you think about communities that raise their fit you know their kids as a community and there's neighborhoods yeah. that used to do that back in the old yes. you know when i was a kid you know if you got out of line a neighbor down the street could whap you <laughs> yeah, in the side of the head right, right. and you get whapped in the head twice when you got to your parents, you know, right. and now it's a lawsuit, you know, and it's just like, what, do you, what, do you, what, do you, what, where is that gone? What I think that's what we want to be part of is that collective community yes. where, where people know that it comes from a place of love and we just all want to bring everybody up to the best possible level. So I think, I think when we know that, I think innately we crave those things. I think we mm-hmm. crave having a community, yeah. we crave being loved. I think we crave giving love to people we're just so afraid it's going to be taken from us. Yes. Right. The other thing that I'll say, you know, as we, as we move into a break is that the thing that strikes me about this too, is the constructs. And I think this is what hit you too, David, is the constructs when I was teaching them they're the constructs are pretty simple, 
the application of them are really difficult right. because it's not the way we normally operate. So I can yeah. lay out some of the concepts. It's like, God, that just makes sense. Then you go to do it. And it's like, this is not the way my brain works. It's not the way my mouth works. Right. Like this is harder than I thought it was. So I think it's the same thing about choice. It's great to empower people so they know they have choice, but but following through on the steps it takes to get there is harder. It's a different ball game. Yeah. We can be successful but people don't want to do the work that it takes to be successful. Mm-hmm. I was just watching can set up and I think not everybody takes the time to learn all the technology they learn to, to actually do a podcast. Well, right. <laughs> unless you really want to do a podcast. Well, right. right. <laughs> right, right. And, and people have no <clears throat> clue what happens behind the scenes for you guys to pull this off. Yes. Right. No clue. Yes. Yes. It's just like, Oh, you just flip on your iPhone and you just talk into <laughs> it and just put it between the two of you at a coffee table. Right. right. That's not the way it works. <laughs> yeah. And right. do you want to save the money to pay, put out what you need to? And then do you want to have the discipline to make sure that every Tuesday night you guys are putting a product out there? Like that's people a lot of times don't want to put that effort and it's not a massive amount of effort, but it takes a conscious effort to do that. Right. And then everybody just figures they're going to post it on Instagram and they're going to be famous that quick. and make a million bucks. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so, so I think that's the balance between choice and empowering people. But then you have to have that impetus, that drive inside mm-hmm. of you to, you need to show up every day. Right. You need to put one foot in front of the other and keep focused on your why. Then yes. you talk about can, if you stay yes. focused on your why, you may wander off course, but you'll head, you'll head the right general direction right. Right. to keep your right. attention clear. Right. So that hits on just so many, so many pieces and parts. Um, again, I'm big on journals, just mm-hmm. I'm big on journals yeah. because it's a reference. Absolutely. Right. That's something that you can always come back to, go back a few months, go back to last year, see what you were thinking in that moment. And it's also a great progress tracker. I think that's right. one Absolutely. of the things when we're headed towards somewhere where we have a goal in mind, it's easy to feel like you're not making progress if yes. it's nothing that has happened that's considered major. Right. And that's, I think, what it's done the most for me is being able to capture that piece and come back and say, no, I actually did. Since then, we've done X, Y, Z. Yes. Right, right. So may have a whole other alphabet's worth of letters to go, but <laughs> we've done this, right? Well, you've got it written down because there's so many times there's these brilliant thoughts. Or this the whole one. The more I've learned about calculated conversations, like the missing pieces, Right. you can hear it, you can do the math in your head, but as soon as you go home to do the homework, it's like, what did we talk about today? Bandwidth. Right. You only have so much bandwidth to work with. Absolutely. Right. And that yeah. journaling, it makes it so much easier to go yes. back to the reference and, and be able to pull that back out yes right. are we gonna get ready to end this part of the episode but we're coming back with part two. part two coming up yes calculated conversation with casey jackson <laughs>